Welcome back to another episode of Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joining you from sunny Florida. Joining me from Massachusetts is Chris Lynch. Chris, how are you doing? Well, it's certainly sunny up here. That does not mean it's warm. It's sunny and windy and very cold up here. But, you know, it's hockey weather, so I'm not going to complain that much about it all. It's perfect hockey weather for a hockey season, a college hockey season that's really starting to heat up. And we're going to jump right into it just for the sake of we spent a lot of last week talking about the upcoming matchups for Minnesota State as they were going to take on St. Cloud State and Minnesota Duluth, the St. Cloud State game coming on the road at Herb Brooks Arena. And Minnesota State, Mankato won both of those games. So the class of the WCHA went up and stood up with two of the powerhouses in the mighty NCHC. You know, I asked you this in the, uh, in the uh, right before we started recording this, but I'm not so sure that the NCHC is as godly as it has been uh, been. Uh, prepped up to be, especially with St. Cloud. I have one major question about them. They have a goalie tandem with Jeff Smith and David Hrenak, and I just have questions as to how effective that can be, especially since those guys were good and, from what I can tell, made some, made some very good saves, but Smith made uh, three goals on 13 shots. Hrenak allowed one goal on 12 shots, so not the greatest of goalie performances, especially when Connor Lacuve, who former BU guy, so thrilled to see him having some real success in Mankato. 30 shots faced, he made 28 saves, and his team backed him up. So uh, this is just a side uh, question for uh, how good the NCHC is across the board. But Mankato is here to stay. They will, I they should win the WCHA and they should be a penciled-in favorite for, uh, I think, making the Frozen Four in St. Paul this year. As it stands right now, I, I would have to agree with you. And as it relates to the NCHC, I, I think that this is the time of year that right around the end of January through February, this is where the large conferences start to even out a little bit, where we often see that one conference will kind of dominate everything in the early part of the year and then come back to earth a little bit while a conference or two that had been seen as a little bit dormant starts to rise. And we haven't seen that because Hockey East continues to be weird, had a weird weekend with Providence and Northeastern, the the top teams in that conference, both splitting with teams that they really should on paper be sweeping. But it certainly looks like the NCHC is falling back to earth, and it's starting to become a real debate whether they are the best conference this year. Because the Big Ten, for you know, for all of its controversy, real or imagined, the Big Ten really looks like it might be the best conference right now. Anybody can win any game in in conference for those teams. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame is still the best team in conference. I don't think that part is that arguable, despite them finally losing a a conference game. I still think they're the best. I still think they're, in a lot of ways, really the most interesting team to watch being being the new new team there. Um, So, 
Ohio State is excellent. Michigan's doing a lot better than I originally thought. Penn State has some really good uh, good flying offense. I'd love to see more out of Peyton Jones from them. But uh, it's a debate between the NCHC and the Big Ten. I think I think still slightly the NCHC is still the best conference overall, but it's a much closer debate now than it was earlier on in the season. It's one of those things where you certainly can't go by polls because these things get momentum throughout the season. And I think to a degree, while I think the polls are doing a pretty good job this year, I think to a degree the NCHC's hot start gave them a lot of credit in the voting and to a degree the Big Ten as well, where simply by being in that conference you get votes. Yeah. I mean, I've I've said this at the Western Michigan for a couple years now, but Omaha is one one above five hundred, and they're ranked nineteenth in the nation. Uh, Western Michigan, a very good team, three wins over five hundred, and they're ranked a lot higher than Bowling Green, ranked higher than the Golden Gophers, ranked higher than I can't believe I'm about to say this, ranked higher than BC, just. Uh, I really do think that uh, there are a couple teams in that conference, which good teams, very good hockey teams. I don't want to be accused of, uh, of you know, undervaluing these teams because they're very good, but I just don't see all of the hype behind it all. One conference that's making its its run right now is the WCHA, not just with Minnesota State being on a tear and looking like they they are a national championship contender at this point. But you're starting to see those teams start to pepper the rankings with Northern Michigan cracking the latest USCHO poll and Bowling Green sitting there right in front of Boston College at number 15. So it's been a good year for a conference that's needed to rebound from rebuilding for a little while. And they look like they have this year. Bowling Green has been a team that's been right on the cusp of uh, breaking into the higher rankings for a while. And they've been, they've been an excellent team, a fun team to watch. I, I normally can only get to watching their highlights, but they're a fun team. And it's very great to see an old standby from the CCHA have some real success in Northern Michigan. They have a good following on the Upper Peninsula. They that's the, one of the homes of college hockey. So I'm very happy to see that uh, they're having some success. Now we just need to get them a little bit higher up in the polls and get their uh, uh, get them respected a lot more amongst uh, amongst the ranks. I mean the teams at the very top of it, like Notre Dame, Cornell, Clarkson, Denver, St. Cloud, those those teams absolutely deserve all the respect they're getting and. Minnesota State Mankato is, I think, pretty clearly the best team in uh, in that conference. But it's it's awesome getting to see the WCHA be a lot more competitive. And their schedule, as the rest of the season goes on, is really interesting and uh, really exciting to see, especially with all the travel that these teams have to do in the upcoming weeks. And that's where that's where I think we can pivot a little bit because Northern Michigan, who, as you said, one of the homes of college hockey, one of those Upper Peninsula schools that gets so much love from their fans and has so much tradition, 
they're about to hit that WCHA schedule in a tough way. They are at Anchorage for the next two games. Then they will go and play Alabama Huntsville the next week. So they're logging those enormous travel miles that we've we've talked about before a few times. And it's really a test for these teams. It it might be one of the toughest parts of playing in the WCHA is dealing with all those travel miles. And it just seems so often like they have that back-to-back where you have to play the the one of the Alaska schools and then you have to play Huntsville. Well, it doesn't also – also, you got to keep in mind that after that series, those two weekends, you're home for one series against uh, – against the Nanooks, which, by the way, is one of my favorite mascots because it's just, you don't hear it anywhere else, but the Fairbanks Nanooks at home. And then you close it with a series against Michigan Tech, who's having a good season, but all those teams on the UP don't like each other. So you're closing out the season with a brutal stretch of games. And the travel to Alaska is the most difficult part of it because nationally, it's bad to say the Alaska teams have been kind of disappointing. I mean, they've got some good players there, but Northern's a better hockey team. So Northern, on paper, should win these games. I expect that they'll be a little bit tired and worn out, and I don't know how they're going to uh, enjoy the uh, 3 o'clock Eastern time games in Alabama as well on those uh, on those schedules, followed by... Uh, you know, it's it's a tough schedule, but they've got to handle it. That's what's in front of them, and I'm sure that uh, their coaches are getting them, them ready to do that. It's part of the fun of that conference, really. It is. It's part of the fun, and it's part of the thing you you would be concerned about with a team like Northern Michigan, who's on a tear. They've, they've just reentered the rankings. They're They're looking like a really good team. And now they have to deal with these travel miles. And that can be the kind of thing that sends them to yet another level. And suddenly they start looking like a bubble team when it comes to tournament selection. We'll see about that. But it's going to be a tough schedule for them, as you pointed out. And I mean, Bowling that, Green is. Bowling Green has got a similar thing. I mean, they have to go from playing, from uh, hosting Michigan Tech to in Anchorage and then to Huntsville. So it all evens out because everybody has to deal with this kind of travel at uh, different points of the season. So it all does even out at the end. It does. It just seems like those back-to-backs where they're one week they're in Alaska and the next week they're in Alabama, that could be lessened somehow. (laughs) Excuse me. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be uh, it. Would be nice if you could somehow cut that down, but I just don't know that you can until we change the conferences around. But we've already beaten that horse to death, so I'd say let's not worry about it too much more than we already have. And that's that's really the WCHA's premier matchup this weekend because you actually don't see much of. The of Minnesota State, they're playing the U.S. under-18s on Sunday. Or, I'm sorry, on Saturday. There are no games on Sunday this week. Yeah, this is one of those few times when, uh, well, number of times when it's Friday, Saturday, and then you get a little bit of a breather and you want more of it. But odd time to have an exhibition against the under-18s, but 
that's what the schedule dictates. And I think they've earned it after pulling those two major victories, especially the uh, the one in St. Cloud on the offense clip. The one nothing game that uh, they had uh, against Duluth, low scoring, low shooting game. Duluth only got 15 shots the entire game on net. And uh, LeCouve had a shutout, and it might be the easiest shutout he's ever had because he only had to face 15 shots for the whole game. So that's, I think that's a testament to great forechecking and excellent uh, skating by the Mavericks. So they've earned their rest. They'll get their time to play their exhibition schedule. And, yeah, there's really not that much else right now for the, uh, uh, for the current WCHA schedule. I mean, Tech and Ferris State is fun. Bowling Green at Lake State, and Northern, Northern going up to Anchorage. So it's a fairly quiet week in terms of the explosive fireworks that that we're seeing from some of these other conferences. And that's that's what brings me to the Big Ten again, where, where all three of their matchups on Friday involve two sets of ranked teams. Michigan's at Ohio State. Notre Dame's at Minnesota, and Penn State's at Wisconsin. Yet again, this conference just beats itself up. Isn't that the way you want it, though? I mean, you want good teams playing against good teams. So, And uh, this is part of the big benefit of having the Big Ten. Michigan and Ohio State get another opportunity to hate each other. There's another opportunity for those students in Columbus to remove the letter M from the English language. Dude, that's awesome. And and likewise for those good people in Michigan, they get to pretend the letter O doesn't exist for uh, for at least a weekend. So, you know, this is this is the best part of the Big Ten, I think. It ought to be a a real good weekend for those teams, and especially for for Notre Dame. They need the wins after after having a rough week last week. They they need to get back on track because even though they've had a great season, we know how college hockey season is. You really can't slip, especially around this time of year. Yeah, you can't have it snowball, especially with that one game being a five nothing blowout against Wisconsin and in the place where their season ended last year uh, at the United Center. So you got to hope that their game can travel a bit because they've got two hard road stretches ahead of them because this weekend they're at Mariucci, at the fabled Mariucci Arena. And then the next weekend they're at the brand-new Palace in Pagula out of Penn State. So this might – yeah, this is probably their hardest stretch of the regular season. Then they got to play Ohio State the week after at home easier to play at home than on the road, especially with how well Notre Dame has played at home. But, you know, this I think these next two weekends are the hardest portion of the season for who's currently the nation's best team. And they're still somehow the best team in the nation, even after taking a five-zip something. Would you have voted for Cornell? Um... Uh, am I gonna be uh, am I gonna be called out for East Coast bias if I do? Because I really do think I would. 
There's a case for them, and that case is pretty simple. They have the best record in the country, and they only have two losses. Yeah, I know. Uh, they beat Colgate last weekend, both two nothing victories. They play they play excellent hockey. Matt Galajda in net has been outstanding, but they have a giant test this weekend against one regular power in the ECAC and one team that has been really upset-minded. And I think it is the premier matchup of the weekend on Friday night at the Bright Landry Hockey Center where Harvard will host the the, the Crimson Bears. Yeah, or they should be the Cornell. We talk a lot about college hockey rivalries and how they differ from the other college sports. And obviously in the Ivy League, they have some of the oldest rivalries in any sport in the country, including Harvard and Yale. But when it comes to hockey, Harvard's real true rival has been Cornell, and it's been Cornell for a long time. So this is going to be a big game for a Harvard team that started the season looking like something close to a disaster and now they're they're banging on the door they're the first team out of the rankings with i think 90 i'm pulling up the list right now 98 votes for that final spot in the usahos top 20 rankings they're only behind northern michigan by three votes uh so they're nipping at their heels they're very close to getting back into the rankings and I think that Harvard had a brutal stretch to start the season when they overscheduled themselves, especially with not playing a single game at home until uh, until the brand new year started after uh, after early November. So I think that they're just figuring themselves out, and I think they have the best college hockey player in the nation in Ryan Donato. I, I really do think that. I think... Donato has played 19 games. He has 20 points. Basically, he has uh, 20 goals and nine assists. He's the leading goal scorer in the nation, and he's played in five or or six fewer games than most of the other statistical contenders for 29 points in 19 games. If he weren't going to the Olympics, he would win the Hobie Baker in a walk. And he has had a point in every game except one, and that came against Union last week Monday. Excuse me, against the RPI last week Monday when it was a two-to-two tie. So Harvard's starting to figure it out, and they'll be in for a big test. And am I crazy about Donato maybe being a Hobie winner if if he weren't going to the Olympics? Not at the rate Harvard's playing. They if they finish the season as strong as they've been playing for the last few weeks. You know, the sky's the limit, and Hobie Baker awards would be one of the things you'd have to consider. Well, at the very least, I I know that that's not really what he's caring about right now because they want to win, and they had a big weekend last. They came up with an overtime victory against St. Lawrence, who for all their struggles, it's still an in-conference opponent, and it's still a very good crowd up in Canton. But the signature game of that, weekend was a shootout in Potsdam against Clarkson, in which they walked out of there with a 6-6 to tie after giving up three goals and getting one goal by Lewis Zerter-Gossage, 
with 59 seconds left to go in regulation time. And they tied the team who at the time was the nation's leading unit. So I think that's uh, I, I think that Harvard is absolutely in contention to uh, win the ECAC again. It was a rough week at home for Clarkson. They tied Harvard and then they lost to, you mentioned there's an upset-minded team in the ECAC. And we've actually on this podcast kind of dismissed them in the past as just a team that's on people's schedule that you can almost cross off as wins. Not anymore because Dartmouth has beaten a few ranked teams this year. Just looking at their schedule. Yeah, and I noticed uh, that I think early on in the season, they had a 5 nothing loss against Harvard, a 5-3 loss to Holy Cross. They barely beat Brown. Uh, they got thoroughly demolished by Princeton, in which they lost 9-2 to down in New Jersey. So they have had some weekends. And then they also lost to Bentley earlier on this season. So they've had a lot of games in which they just didn't look very good. But things changed for them right around the new year when they went out to Denver and split the series with the defending national champs, beat UNH at home, and tied Duluth and almost won uh, their home tournament against uh, against them. So it's a good young team that it, they're currently tied with Colgate for points at 6-6 six, six, and 1. Colgate has played one fewer game and has one fewer loss. Um, in the standings right now, so they're technically sixth place in the ECAC. But Big Green are a good unit. They're a young team. Their coach has them going in the right direction, so I think we're in for some interesting hockey the rest of this way. And they'll play Cornell on Saturday, so that's going to be a really good game from the way Dartmouth's been playing this year. Well, the Colgate game on Friday is also just important for standings purposes. Colgate is tied with them in points and only ahead of them in the loss column at one. So for standings purposes, I mean, Cordell is the bigger matchup right now, but because of where they are standings wise, but you know, it's a, it's still ultimately a very good, uh, both teams are going to be hard competition this weekend, but Thompson should be up for it. As should, as should Bright Landry has mentioned, I'll be at the Cornell game at Harvard on Friday night. And, those teams, Harvard and Cornell, have been playing hockey since 1898 on outdoor frozen ponds. Don't you love this? these rivalries and this stuff? They've been playing since 1898 on outdoor frozen ponds for their rivalries history. It's, it's a wonderful thing. It's, it just shows that Part of the thing that makes the the um, old Ivy League schools that are ECAC schools in hockey, what makes them so special in terms of sports is that they've been playing pretty much all their sports since those sports were invented. In fact, for uh, for college football specifically, they kind of invented the sport as we know it. And in fact, the reason a football field is fifty three. Uh, yards wide is because it couldn't fit any wider in Harvard Stadium. So, in fact, we've been playing this stuff 
by the rules that a lot of the Ivy League schools set. Moving on to the NCHC, which has some big matchups this week. Denver, after a bit of a down spell, has gotten back on its feet. They had a big sweep last weekend and played extremely well in that sweep. So now Denver is going to be coming out. And by the way, in that sweep, they played Nebraska-Omaha, and they shut them out both nights. So this is a Denver team that once again looks like the defending national champions. And oh, do they have a tough one because they're going to be at Ralph Engelstad Arena taking on North Dakota. I have to be very careful with what I say here because my editor at Inside Hockey, Eric Burton, is a North Dakota guy and is not that big a fan of... uh, He's not that big a fan of Jim Montgomery and the Pioneers, so I have to be careful with how much praise I heap on them. But, uh, you know, I, for all my talk about how, uh, for historical purposes and current purposes, Harvard's matchup with Cornell is, uh, is the marquee matchup. Well, this weekend series is the marquee series because in the ECAC they normally only play one uh, – one game against one opponent per weekend, and then they travel to another nearby school and play a game against the other other, other team. You play two-game weekend series in the NCHC, and this is uh, between these two teams, because these are tied. Historically, they have eight national championships between the two of them, and the last two national championships belong to these schools. So in terms of recent dominance, I – Get pumped, people, because this is the real matchup here. I'd agree. I'd say that's the premier series of the weekend, and that includes St. Cloud State at Minnesota Duluth in a battle of two teams that both had struggles against Minnesota State last week. Yeah, they'll be they'll be looking to correct their course. I mean, Duluth held only four shots in the third period in their final uh in their final stretch but uh in that in that third period against uh, against Mankato but they'll be okay they'll correct themselves and St. Cloud I do wonder about their goaltending situation just I can't help but take a look at them rotating their goalies in and out as frequently as they seem to and not have some real concern about them, especially with uh, with uh, one of their big defensemen, Will Borgen, leaving to go play in the Olympics. Schultz will still be there. Uh, Vicky Eismont will still be there. I mean, they, uh, Robbie Jackson will still be there. They've got some really good players with which to work, and they should correct their ship, I think, against Duluth, who is a good team, but is not national championship form this season. St. Cloud, if they sort out their goaltending situation, is Saint Cl- is a national championship caliber this season. I'd agree with that, and I'd I'd say that that this matchup, especially for Denver, is big because they had had a bit of a really rough stretch in much of January and even some December. 
but having come out of last weekend with a sweep and now they're going into Ralph Engelstead, if they can get at least a split here, I think you can say firmly that the Pioneers are right back. I agree. If they at least, I mean, you come out with just points somehow against, uh, against, it still feels weird to call North Dakota anything other than the fighting shoe. Um, uh, if they come out of that series against North Dakota with some points, then I think they've got to be happy with where they are. And Tanner Gillette has started to you know, really play like he's Tanner Gillette. So Denver, get pumped. You've uh, you've got yourselves a competitive hockey team that's putting themselves in position to really compete again. As far as non-conference matchups go, there's a strange matchup happening this week. But then again, I think almost every matchup that ends up at Arizona State at this point is going to feel strange. But they've played a lot of Hockey East teams this year, and they're going to continue that with a home weekend against Boston University, another team that has been up and down and might be just about to find their stride. I mean, if if they're going to find their their opportunity for some wins, then this is as good a weekend as any. Is they got three out of four possible points two weekends ago against UNH and Providence, and they swept Merrimack last week. And Merrimack is a team that routinely trips them up. So, and they're going to and uh, this series against Arizona State, Pete played in two different arenas. Friday night game, which I think is on television. I think, uh, or at least it's, it might be on TV out there, but in any event, they're going to play that game at the Gila River Arena, which is where Arizona State, excuse me, where the Coyotes the, in the National Hockey League play. So that'll be a Friday night game out in Glendale. And then the the next night, they're going to the Oceanside Ice Arena, which is the normal home for, um, uh, for the Sun Devils. And that place only sits 747 people and in a lot of ways feels like a glorified high school rink. But it'll do until that brand-new on-campus arena is all built and constructed, which we, which was very recently announced. But that's, uh, that's a weird series. But, you know, it's good that Arizona State is getting to play these really good teams. We need them to continue developing out west. I would just like for them to show some real fight and develop the sport, but for me to pull out the victory as an alum of the school. Well, as an update, because we talked about Arizona State announcing that they wanted to build an on-campus hockey arena last week. As an update to that, they announced what appears to be, yeah, it was this morning, and I am quoting Ann Ryman of The Republic, a local paper to Arizona, also azcentral.com. So you know they have some inside information out there. Arizona State University unveiled preliminary plans this week for a $160 million renovation of Wells Fargo Arena with an adjacent indoor sports complex to house men's hockey, wrestling, and gymnastics. The plans will be reviewed by the Arizona Board of Regents Business and Finance Committee on Thursday will still need approval of the board. Construction wouldn't start for another year, but the ball is really rolling on this. It's about time. I mean, it is a new program, so it makes sense that uh, that they'd be playing at a 
you know, not a big place, but, you know, it's great that they are getting an arena. It's great that they are continuing to develop the sport. And I think we all ought to be happy that more people are deciding to get into the hockey world. All right. Well, we've been around most of the country. Now, you might have noticed, listeners, that last week we almost didn't touch on Hockey East at all, except for a Maine versus New Hampshire matchup. And I'm kind of avoiding it again today because you know that next week, next week will be Puck University's Beanpot Preview. And you know that Chris went to BU and that I went to Northeastern. So we both have a lot to say about those schools, a lot to say about this upcoming tournament and what it means for everyone involved, especially Northeastern, but also look out for that surging Harvard team we just mentioned. So I'm knowing that I can't avoid one of the top matchups this week is a Hockey East matchup between Northeastern and Providence. It's going to be the old traditional home and home with the with Friday night's game happening at Matthews Arena and Saturday night's game happening at Schneider. And if I weren't going to the Cornell matchup, uh, Cornell-Harvard matchup, I would be at Matthews for the Friars and the Huskies. Oh, baby, what a matchup. Because that Providence team, I'm still not totally convinced on them, but I'm starting to warm up to uh, where they could be. And this is a matchup of the eighth team of the nation against the 10th team of the nation. And I think Northeastern is still underrated because they've got the top power play in the nation and they've got one of the best uh, defense. They've got a very good defensive unit. And Caden Primo is a good young goaltender. And you take a look at they, last weekend, they split against UMass on the road. And I'll note that I've, I've said for a while that Greg Carville is, is turning UMass Amherst into a real contender. Not happen, not going to happen in full this year, but you watch the Minutemen next year, and they're going to be one of those teams that's contending in, in Hockey East. So I think Northeastern, with two of the top three scorers in the country, are going to uh, give Providence a lot to think about and give Hayden Hockey something to work with uh, this weekend. And by work with, I mean they're going to pepper him with shots. That's their preferred style of play, and they're they're the kind of team when they can get out with a head of steam and play the way they want to play, they're almost unbeatable. Now, that's true of, I would say, close to 20 teams in college hockey. That If they play the game the way they drew it up, they're going to win that game. But it's always something to be said for a team, especially a team that it's it's getting to the point where I'm a couple of weeks away from finishing that sentence. So we're only a couple of weeks away from me finishing that sentence. <laughs> I'll leave you alone on uh, on that whole thought. Uh, I I know what's holding you up, but I will uh, I will I will let you uh, put that thought process together. But it's a weekend of style of uh, clash and contrast. Northeastern is the top power play team in the nation, and Providence has the fifth-best penalty kill, fifth-best goals-per-game output as a team, and it is a, an opportunity for them to really flex their muscles and see if they could play each other's game. Because I know without any hesitation that Providence can win playing a hitting, 
defensive style game. I am not certain they can win in a track meet. I know Northeastern can win in a track meet, and I am fairly certain that they can win with hard hits and good checks and good defensive play. I've seen them hit and check BU into oblivion, and they checked BC into oblivion and drew penalties off of it. So I am more convinced of Northeastern's ability to win playing a different style than I am with Providence, being able to win with a different style. While we're on Hockey East, we should touch on that main New Hampshire matchup that we were so excited for last weekend. It ended inconclusively. They played two games and they tied two games. So that's, especially in a rivalry, two ties in the same weekend is just tough to swallow. But, you know, if you're looking at it from a New Hampshire perspective, I think uh, that I think it was something that is well needed because they they were down in the third period after Chase Pearson had uh, given Maine the lead and Charlie Kelleher silenced the crowd with a goal and uh, Danny Taroni made a lot of saves. I mean, he faced 36 shots in that game and made 33 saves. So it's not for playing badly. And honestly, with how uh, they narrowly lost to BU the weekend before and got absolutely slaughtered by BC uh, that Sunday. It was exactly what they needed was for uh, for a big game against a big rival and uh, and uh, to come out with at least points. You didn't win. You didn't lose. You got points, and you showed that you can fight against a good hockey team in a hostile situation. So for where they were, I don't hate it, and I'm honestly okay with what I saw out of them out of them that weekend. Maine, on the other hand, I would be a lot more annoyed with that performance because the next time these teams face, it's going to be on Valentine's Day at Durham, and they're going to be hyped for that game. Yeah, that's going to be a tremendous game. And just taking a look at the hockey standings, New Hampshire got off to a really good start. They've had since December, they've had it rough. It, maybe these ties will be what helps them right the ship and finish strong in Dick and Millie's final season. I certainly hope so because you want to see him go out on a high note. It is not out of the realm of possibility. It's not likely, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that Maine and New Hampshire will take each other on in the Hockey East playoffs. That could be a first-round matchup. Oh, yeah, that could be a first-round matchup. That could be depending on depending on uh, how everything sorts themselves out because there's a little bit of separation between UMass Lowell in the fifth seed and Maine. It's a, it's a difference of three points right now. But UNH has a lot of Hockey East games left to play. I think they've got the second-most conference games uh, just after UMass Amherst. And all of the games that they've got upcoming are all completely winnable games. They've got a series against UConn, who's – they're playing without their starting goaltender. Adam Huska has a sprained wrist. So uh, he's out for uh, – he's going to be out for the upcoming series against against uh, 
UNH, granted, Huska also missed the game against Providence on the road, and they won that game. But, you know, for the sake of argument, we're going to look past it right now. Then they've got a weekend set on the road at Northeastern, which is going to be brutal and tough. And then they're hosting UMass and then hosting Vermont, who, while a tough team is, or while has some real talent, is a last-place team in the conference. So I think those games are all winnable games for UNH. So they can turn their schedule around in a heartbeat, I think, and can get into uh, into a position where they're hosting one of those first-round series. Yeah, that, that could be a a turning point for for that team absolutely and and you mentioned the the UNH matchup on uh, next Friday against Northeastern and I'll say this about UNH going to Matthews on February 2nd as you know those games that are right around the bean pot but are not bean pot games are strange they are flat i'd say weird but we keep using that word for hockey east they are bizarre hockey games especially the one in between but the one right before the first round can also be a little bit of an opportunity for a team to not necessarily trip up but look past the game yeah i mean especially northeastern because i'll go on record i think northeastern is the best team in the beating pot this year just for what they are able to do they should win this year's bean pot. I'll say this. If they were anyone but Northeastern, there wouldn't be a question who the favorite of that tournament is. That's a fair analysis. So Northeastern should absolutely be the favorite. And I don't know if I'm going to get flack from BU people for saying that. I'm, hey, I'm, I'm only pointing out what I see. And they're a good enough hockey team where they should be the favorites to win. I mean, I would pick them over BC, and that's not because I dislike BC. It's because I genuinely think that Northeastern is the better of, is the better hockey team. So, yeah, especially with the UNH game against Northeastern on on February second is an in between game because they've got a weekend series against Providence, who's the other big national contender in hockey East, and then they get to go play in their biggest in uh, their biggest. Uh, tournament before the postseason begins. So that UNH game, I wonder how much it's going to get lost in the shuffle, but you know, it's still on the schedule. Every every one of these teams has got it on the schedule. But BU honestly has the most difficult schedule for just travel purposes. They've got to come back from Arizona and get themselves back into uh, into Beanpot mindset. And then right after getting back from Arizona on February 2nd, they're at Amherst that weekend. So we're getting a little bit off onto uh, deep into real bean pot talk. We'll save the rest of this for uh, yeah, that can continue next week. But yeah. but you do have to set the stage a little bit because if we're talking about conferences as a whole, and we started this talking about UNH and Maine, you have to look at their schedule. And when you run into those, especially in Hockey East, those three schools that play in that tournament. That is part of the the mindset as well. It's it, it's a tough team. They're going to be Northeastern is going to be the favorites in that game on paper. But when you look at it from UNH's perspective, it's a little more interesting because it's right sandwiched between that Providence series 
and that tournament that so much is riding on, you know, at least emotionally for that school. And you look at that for the rest of the Hockey East schedule for a lot of teams, there's going to be a scramble. It's not necessarily that any of the expected teams are going to be left out of the playoffs, but playoff seeding in that particular conference is a big deal. You don't want to go to some of these arenas and have to win two games. Yeah. Yeah, you uh, you don't want to go into – you don't want to be UNH at the ninth seed and have to go into UMass Amherst and have to win two games. You don't want to be uh, Maine and be leading for a while and then all of a sudden just because you lose late games, you're going from hosting UNH to playing in Durham. These games are important, uh, and uh, at the top of the seeding as well, it's it's really important, especially that four or five seed, where BU is currently in the fourth spot. So they would get a first round bye, and they would host UMass Lowell. But Lowell has a lot to play for as well. There are two games uh, fewer right now, uh, with 18 points, just trailing BU's 20. So Lowell could flip that schedule and turn it from playing at Aganis Arena in their second round play in their playoff series against the Terriers to playing at the Songus Center. Now, which one of those would you rather play at if you're UMass Lowell? Right. Right. And UMass Lowell I think you can put in the same category as Harvard, where they had a really disappointing start. We started to wonder what was wrong and Largely what was wrong was the performance of goalie Tyler Wall has just been off this year, and hopefully he writes the ship in, in his later years and gets back to the goalie he was last year, which was a fantastic netminder. But once they once they started shifting out and playing more of their players, playing more of their goalies, UMass Lowell has been a tough out since December. Especially with how well Chris Hernberg has played. They had a good showing against Harvard in the Catamount Cup. They won a narrow game over BU. They um, this, this past weekend uh, that they had against Vermont is concerning because they only won in overtime, and then they lost six to three on the road after uh, after cutting the lead from four nothing down to four three in the second period. So I think I'm still concerned about the Riverhawks, but. Not quite as much as I was at one point, and also this comes with the asterisk of they got to win at Gutterson Fieldhouse. That's no small task. But uh, this weekend, the River Hawks have a very important home and home series with BC, and I'm actually going to be at the Saturday night game for uh, for UMass Lowell and BC. Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com. Thanks for joining the show. Tell the people where they can find you on social media and what you're working on for Inside Hockey this week. Well, you can find me on uh, you can find me on Twitter at CC Lynch Wall. You can find me on Instagram at CC Lynch 16. And mostly for Inside Hockey stuff, it's game coverage. Three games this weekend. I've got the Harvard versus Cornell game on Friday night, and I've got two games on. Saturday, I've got the previously mentioned UMass Lowell versus BC game on Saturday night. But that afternoon, shortly beforehand, I'm covering a game hosted by Bentley in which Canisius, the leader in uh, the Atlantic Hockey Conference and a team that 
very well could make it into the national tournament will be taking part in. So those are my three games that I'm covering this weekend. Excellent. Then we'll be able to talk a lot about the Atlantic Hockey Conference next week before we get to our Beanpot previews. Because, you know, when I look at all the conferences, I know that's the smallest of the conferences, but we really do need to pay them a little more mind. I agree with that. And I'll be able to with uh, being able to write about them this weekend. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Puck University. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Tim Williams. You can find me this week. I will be writing about the NHL All-Star Game because luckily it's come down to where I am in Tampa, in the Tampa area. And I am looking very much forward to that. So I'll be able to, to cover that and talk a little bit i certainly will talk on twitter and you can follow me there at tim Wright sports about the players in that game who have college hockey ties because i always love that with the nhl this has been another episode of puck university i've already told you that have a wonderful week and as always keep your head up and your hits clean